He's like, boy, getting liberal or what? Uh, <laughs> but it was good. I uh, appreciate Matt and for the ministry that he's had and for his thoughts. We often meet on Thursday with, uh, uh, once a month with a group of other pastors and uh, spend time praying for one another and for you folks and for our country as well. And it's about prayer that I'd like to come and share with you this morning, and particularly out of the book of James, which has a great deal to say about faith. And in this last portion in chapter 5, there's a very specific direction in which he points us when it comes to the matter of prayer, the prayer of faith. And uh, I remember reading about an old-time preacher who literally drew thousands every Sunday morning and evening for years and years. And someone asked him on a Sunday where he got the, uh, the power for all of this preaching that he was doing and for all these people being here. And he says, come with me. And he went into a back room and there was a group of people, not a large group, but a group of people. And they were busy praying. And he says, that's the powerhouse of the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And uh, so Charles Spurgeon attributed a great deal of his success to the power of those who are willing to take time to pray. Now, I know that sometimes it seems as though the heavens are brass and that you uh, don't feel like your prayers are getting through. Well, I doubt that everybody maybe not anybody is totally satisfied with their prayers on a daily basis. I know that I always feel frustrated because as much as I pray, I feel like there's something more that should be added. And uh, we also ask questions about, well, why don't we get the answer we want? And I think there's an answer in here. Because prayer is a mystery. It's a unique blending of the heart of man and the heart of God to accomplish the purposes of God and transform our purposes into the purposes of God. Um, now, I'm not going to answer all your questions this morning. Um, that would be longer than either of us could endure. But I will focus in on a single thing that I'd like you to carry away with you in your heart. And uh, it's this little statement, the power of prayer is in your life, not just your lips. It's not just what you say, but it's the reservoir out of which that which is said is drawn. Your heart and how pure it really is before the Lord. But rather than go on with that, let's look at some scripture here. James chapter 5, verses 13 to 18. I'll read and you can follow along on the screen if it's, yeah, it's up there good and bright. If, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person, emphasis upon the righteous person, has great power as it is working. 
Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently like that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. California's even had longer than that. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. And again, I say that um, the power of prayer is in your life, not just your lips. And there are plenty of opportunities for you and for me to pray. And one of the ones that he mentions is the matter of when we are suffering. Is anyone among you suffering? Now, you may say, well, I'm not hurting at the moment. We're not talking about the physical side of things. We're talking about other ways in which we hurt. Have you been disappointed lately? Have you lost a loved one? Have you found yourself being shunned by friends because of your faith? Um, have you lost your job? Uh, you're wondering where there's, what you're going to do now that there's more month than there is paycheck. And uh, the list can go on and on. Broken relationships and inadequate resources to meet your needs. And who knows what all else that affects us. And so there's plenty of sorrow and suffering that goes in on our lives. And what is his solution? Well, it is let him pray. Now, the hymn is generic. That means men and women, boys and girls. So it's not just exclusively a man thing. Instead of moaning and complaining to other people, he's suggesting that we address our agony to the Lord. You know, I complain to people, but they're not sovereign. God is. I can go to him and pray and know that he has the power to do whatever he wishes to do. Now, if you want to see a pattern of that kind of prayer for suffering, when you're suffering, go back and read some of the Psalms. David is a past master at this because he did a lot of suffering in his life. We think of him as the victorious um, killer of Goliath and uh, overwhelming the enemies and so on. But he spent a lot of years hiding and running for his life because Saul was trying to kill him. And uh, I understand that that could cause him to write the Psalms that he did. And I'm thankful that he did because there are times where I might say, as David did at one time, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, God hadn't, but that's the way we sometimes feel. Is there anybody out there? Um, so let him pray. Lay it out before the Lord because the prayer of faith believes there is a God and that he will answer prayer. Is anyone cheerful, he goes on to say. Uh, and so there are times where we are happy and we ought to do something about celebrating the fact Cheerful means we're in a good mood. Now, that doesn't happen every morning when you get up until your third or fourth cup of coffee or uh, whatever it is that you do in the morning. Uh, or you get home from work and you don't have to do a bunch of yard work. You can relax and, and enjoy the sunshine and everything is great. So what do you do? I got a raise. Man, we can go out and spend money now. Um, he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises, obviously, to God, not to your boss and uh, not to the weather. And so um, we can certainly give verbal thanks to God in lots of ways, but we can also sing. Um, 
taking the words of a song, sometimes these songs that you were singing this morning, some of them are very powerful and rich, and I appreciate the young lady and her voice. I think she, Preston does a great job. She's got a great voice for that, and I appreciate her for what she brings to what we do in worship to God. Remember Miriam, Old Testament? Uh, she and Moses and Aaron are standing on the other side of the Red Sea and looking back and watching all these people drown in the sea, those people who were about to kill and murder them and drag them, if they didn't kill them, back into Egypt, into slavery. And she starts a song and a dance. And all the ladies sang and danced, and everybody praised the Lord, which is what ought to happen. Let him sing praise. Uh, you know, if Paul and Silas can be found singing hymns, psalms, if you please, when they're imprisoned in Philippi, then we ought to be able to sing praise to God and not forget who blessed us with all of the blessings that we experience over time. It's a very part of the nature of our being, and it is a form of prayer to God. Whether or not we say, oh God, you're beautiful, or wonderful, or whatever, or if we say, isn't he wonderful, it's still, it's a song of praise to God, and that song of praise is a form of prayer. And sometimes in the Psalms, you'll discover that that's the way David prays. And he praises God in the Psalm, not by saying, Lord, you are, but our God is such and such. Uh, now, some of you may not be comfortable with singing out loud in the presence of others. You can make melody in your heart. And some of us will be glad that you do that. Now, it's also possible that you're a bathtub baritone or a shower stall soprano. And uh, take advantage of it. You're in there all by yourself. The door is closed. And although the rest of the house is probably cringing, go ahead and let loose. Let the Lord know how much you enjoy His presence in your life. That's part of faith. Expressing gratitude for God for what He does in our lives. And then He comes to the one which is the center focus of all of these things, and that is when we're sick. Now, this isn't the only prayer of faith, but he's using this as an example of what the prayer of faith is all about. And by the way, you and I, even though we are Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, get sick. We hurt. And by the way, I'll let you in on a little secret. Those of you who are younger, when you get older, one of the ways you know you're still alive is you hurt. Trust me, um, we feel pain just like anybody else does. Uh, we die just like anyone else does. Uh, I've said a goodbye to a lot of Christian friends, and it sometimes is hard. And I don't believe in the theology that suggests that we should never be sick, because I think that theology is, in its own right, misguided. Christianity is not a magic wall of protection around us that keeps us from all of the things that are in the world that keep us impervious to the things that attack others. Now, does God bless us? Yes, he does. But this is earth. It is not heaven. We live in a broken world, and God says, as long as you're in this world, you're going to experience tribulation, difficulties as well. So what should you do in this specific instance when you are sick, and by the way, what he's talking about here when he's talking about sick isn't that you've got a cold and uh, you know that if you take medicine, 
it'll be done in about seven days. And if you don't take the medicine, you'll be done in about seven days. That's um, just the way it works. It works its way out. He says to do something very specifically. Let him call for the elders. And he's referring to really serious illness. Not every ache and pain that we have. Um, it's not wrong for people to expect a visit from the church or from... By the way, when he speaks of elders, he's not speaking just of... Uh, in our church, the board that I serve on is called the Board of Elders. It includes part of the pastoral staff. But that word implies all of the pastoral staff and those who give spiritual leadership to the church. So there's a whole group of people, and I don't know what you call, whether you call them deacons, elders, uh, overseers, or uh, some other name, hopefully, that uh, is complementary and not uncomplimentary. Um, but they should call. We should call on one another. But, he says, let him call. The initiative somehow here rests back on the individual. And I think sometimes we miss that. If you're sick and it's really serious, don't play hide-and-seek with the staff. I hated it when I was in the pastorate. And I found out that a week later that somebody was in the hospital near death and nobody had bothered to call or tell us the, about it and so on. But... Um, and sometimes that's because we're a little proud. We don't want to admit that we're sick or that we want our privacy. But you know, if it's serious, there is no such thing as privacy in the body of Christ when it comes to the burdens that we care carry. There needs to be some openness. Um, this indicates the person may not be able to travel as well. He says, let him call for the elders. Some people are sick and they can't get out of bed. Uh, if you can go down, and come to the church, ask for prayer, that's fine. But when you can't, don't wait for the elders to take the initiative. Make the call yourself. And then it says, and let them pray over him. Now, this implies personal presence. It isn't phoning it in. It isn't calling up on the phone and saying, hey, Maud, how are you feeling? Not so good, Pastor. Or not so good, Elder Frickus, or whoever it is. And, uh, okay, well, I'll pray for you. And then go into his closet and pray for her uh, at that particular time. It means that you are physically present there. There's a connection. It's important. Uh, because there may be something other than just the physical infirmity that needs attention. There's a lot you can see in the spirit of a, of a person when they're ill, that, that says this person is not only suffering physically, but they're spirit, suffering emotionally, spiritually, and in many, many other ways. It also implies that perhaps someone is incapacitated. They can't get out of bed. Pray over him. Um, it sort of has the idea that they're kneeling down and or uh, praying over the bed, or the person is lying in the bed and they're, kneeling, or they're praying over the top of them. It also suggests that there's a level of authority that these leaders are having in praying and having some sort of authority, not over the individual, but in their ability to reach out to God. Because the leadership in your church should be at least among the most spiritual, the most dedicated, and the most sensitive to the spiritual things of God. And thus closest to God, not that the rest of us aren't close, 
But there's something there that's unique, and you know it. There are, there are times where that's the case. Remember the boy whose father brought um, him to uh, the disciples of the Lord, and they couldn't heal him. Jesus comes down off the mountain. They said, why couldn't we heal him? He says, because his car kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. And there was dimension there of authority in the prayer and fasting that they had not taken on to themselves. Now, so they need to pray. Um, and they need to have their own lives in order. We'll get to that in a moment. And then it says, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Uh, a lot of people get the idea that what that's talking about, and I was that way for many years, is where we take a little dab of oil, sprinkle it on your forehead, spread it around a little bit, and although that does perhaps symbolize the Holy Spirit, I have to thank uh, a scholar that's greater than I am. He's now with the Lord. His name was Spiros Zodiades. He was Greek. He was born on the island of Cyprus, and he was raised as a Christian in a Christian home. And on the island of Cyprus, when he was a little boy, there weren't a lot of doctors around. And so people from the church or others would come ministering. And they would not just merely pray for him, the person. They would minister to them physically using oil. There's a, an actual different Greek word that is used for the anointing that's spoken of here. And the anointing that was used to sprinkle oil on Aaron or, or anointing the, uh, the missionaries when they went out or, or whatever. It's two different words doesn't mean that that other thing is invalid. It just means that there's more. And it's this, that at the time that we're praying for somebody's spiritual needs, we ought to be, uh, physical needs, we ought to be looking at them and seeing what can be done to help them. Maybe prayer isn't the only thing. If somebody's laying alongside the road and bleeding to death, it isn't enough to say, well, brother, I'll pray for you, and then stand over them and pray for them while they bleed to death. It's important for us to address the physical side of a person as well as the spiritual side of them or, um, or whatever. And so that's why I keep saying the power of prayer is in your life, not just your lips. What do you do? Well, so if you do pray a prayer of faith, what can you expect? He says the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now the question is, what is meant um, by save? Um, well, one of the things it means is physical healing, to be sure. Um, doesn't mean that all of the things are going to be healed, but the word save can mean physical healing in the same way that it means to rescue. Uh, a friend of mine and I were out sailing one day, and uh, we had an accident, and he was in the water, and I had to grab a hold of him and pull him in over the, over the stern of the boat in order to get him back into the boat. They would have used the same word in, in Greek at that time for salvation. They would also use that same word to pull somebody out of the water, to rescue them. And so there's a physical aspect to save, not just a spiritual one. And it could be being saved from financial disaster, from continuing pain, whatever. And there's also the matter of spiritual healing as well. And that's why he makes reference to the stain of guilt and, uh, and the need for redemption and forgiveness of sins and salvation. So the next question is, what has this 
sin got to do with sickness. Now, I'm not of the mind that everybody who is sick has committed some sort of a gross sin and they need to confess. But there is the possibility that there is a connection there because there are times where you and I sin in such a way that it affects our bodies. Um, if in that passage that we read is there, it does not automatically assume that someone has committed a sin. It just merely suggests there's a possibility that sickness is related to a sin. And you need to check that out. Sexually transmitted diseases, drunkenness, worry, fear, guilt. David said this, and I don't remember if I put it on the screen or not. No, nope, I didn't. Just listen. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious <coughs> to me and heal me, for I have sinned <coughs> against you. Heal me, I have sinned against you. Two things together. Just get the idea. <coughs> In Psalm 32, he said, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord um, counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Do you see that physical aspect of him refusing to admit that he committed a sin and what it was doing in his body? Sometimes it is psychosomatic or sin-somatic. Maybe it's a good or better, gooder word for it. Yeah, that's a good one. Or he says, joyful heart is good medicine in Proverbs, but a crushed spirit does what? Dries up the bones. And there are times where you feel like you're achy all over, and maybe it's because you have arthritis, and maybe on the other hand, it may be because you have something that needs to be laid out before the Lord. And so, if the prayer is to be answered, <clears throat> it needs to be answered through a pure heart. And that's where confession comes in. Now, necessary elements of the prayer of faith. What does it take to make a prayer of faith? Now, I'm not going to go into all of it. I'm going to give you some suggestions out of what I see in James chapter 1, verse 6. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. What is it that we are... Uh, supposed to believe instead of doubt. Well, I'm going to give you five little things here. And it has, first of all, believing that by praying you're doing what is the right, that you are doing the right thing by asking God to examine your heart and to do whatever it is that you desire of Him. Because if you're apologetic about your prayer, that's not a prayer of faith. You have to believe that what you're doing is the right thing. Secondly, that there are no barriers. And that's where the matter of confession of sin comes in. Self-examination. Take a look at yourself. Let a man first examine himself. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And third, you have the right to ask. You have to believe that you have the right to ask. Um, sometimes... I didn't know whether I had the right to ask my father certain things or not um, because I didn't know what my standing with him was. Uh, maybe it's because of something I had done, uh, which oftentimes was the case. I was addressed quite a number of times with the Board of Education to the Seat of Learning as, as I was growing up. And uh, 
That was because there was a breach in our relationship. Is there a breach in your relationship? No, if there isn't, then you have the right to ask. Don't be apologetic about it. You have to also believe that God hears your prayer. That's the prayer of faith. Believing that God actually hears. He listens. He doesn't leave a note on the answering machine or on your phone that says, I can't come to the phone right now, but I'll get back to you just as soon as I can. Wouldn't that be wonderful? No, not at all. He hears. You have a direct line. And he wants to hear from his children. And then the last one, which is probably as important as any of the rest, if not the most. And you have to believe that God's will would be done. What did Jesus pray in the garden? He says, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Does he stop? No. He says, nevertheless, your will be done. You have to believe that God's will will be done, whether it's a yes to your prayer or a no. That's a prayer of faith. Believing and then trusting God to make the right decision. That's why God will, through the Holy Spirit, as according to Romans chapter 8, He will interpret our prayers in the right way and give the answer that's appropriate. And then all we have to do is anticipate that the right answer will come and then accept it. That's one of the key elements in the prayer of faith. So, if you're going to pray to God about something, whether it's illness or some other major thing, what do you do? He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed, because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, what does that involve? Number one, I think we need to look at it from the standpoint you have to root out sin. Again, examine yourself to make sure that you have the freedom to ask because you have cleared the deck of all of the stuff in your life that might be hindering your prayer. And that's true for the person who's coming as an elder to uh, pray for the sick or whether it's you at home in your closet asking the Lord to help you find another job. I've been praying for months, actually for years, for a neighbor of mine to finally find a job. And the other day he did. And I called him up and asked him, how are you feeling? He says, I feel great. He says, I haven't felt this great in years because he finally had a job. And I said, well, praise the Lord. The prayer is answered. Now, I had to make sure that my prayers were not being hindered by sin. That's why Peter tells uh, men that they are to treat their wives with a great deal of tenderness and understanding and not sin against them, lest their prayers be hindered then sometimes we need to confess our sins to one another. I'm not suggesting this is to be done wholesale. I had a bad thought about you the other day, and I want to ask you for forgiveness. I don't think that's what God is talking about. What does that do? Oh, boy. Most of the time, what that does is it says to me, I wonder what kind of a bad thing they were thinking about me. That's not what you want. So only those things that need to be confessed should be confessed. You're sick enough to call for the elders. You may be sick enough to be candid with them regarding what's going on. And here comes this thing again. Let a man examine himself. And then he says to pray for one another. Sometimes we, the prayer of faith, means that we bring other people into the circle of prayer because we recognize that we need support from other directions as well. I think it also says that there's there's an eye-level relationship between 
the, the elders and the person who's sick in bed, not necessarily geographic or posture eye level, but relational eye level. I'm not coming as the grand pope, standing over somebody and going, blah, 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 and then they get well. It is the fact that we are joined together in spirit. And it also then uh, suggests a reciprocal relationship. Make sure the way is clear for relationship as well as for the answer to prayer. And last of all, be specific. Don't pray in generalities. If you're going to pray and you've, you've got a problem, Lord, I need $500, just don't say, Lord, bless me with some money. Tell him. And he might say, no, you need 350 or no, you need 750 Don't argue with him. He knows what he's doing. But be specific and then leave it in his hands. Now, um, this fits. And I've, I wondered at one time why he put this in here. And that's because he is an example, Elijah is, of powerful prayer. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth. I like the part where it says he was a, had a nature like ours, which tells me one thing. Elijah was no superhero. Now, I admit and I agree that he was, stood tall in many respects. How many people do you know that were righteous enough that God took them directly into heaven without them dying? There are only two in Scripture. Not even Jesus qualifies for that. He died and then he went to heaven. So you have, you have Enoch and you have Elijah. The rest of us, we die. And yet it says of him that he was a man with a nature like ours. He ran away from Jezebel because he was afraid of her. He asked God to kill him because he thought he was the only one. He's sitting there thinking about himself as, I'm the only one left. And God had to remind him, do you realize that I have 7,000 priests who have not bent the knee to Baal? And, and so on. God had to remind him of all those who were still faithful. I think that that's one of the reasons why we need to be gathering together is to remind ourselves that we are not alone and that we all have similar natures. And that's why confessing sin to one another is not a bad thing when it is appropriate, the challenges that we face. And then he says that Elijah prayed passionately or fervently as it says in this passage. And by the way, to me, fervent prayer is passionate prayer. That means there's emotion involved. It's not just... Holy Mary, Mother of God, and the of death, blah, 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 like that. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about this passionate thing of, uh, of asking God with a heart that is burdened, and you're laying the burden on him. You're not demanding, you're not commanding, but you've got this burden in you. And, it, you know, it says about Samuel that when he knew that Saul was not going to be king uh, and his progeny were not going to be successors to him. It says that he wept all night in prayer before God about this matter. And uh, he was persistent in prayer too. That's part of what it is. It's passionate prayer and it is persistent prayer. Um, Elijah said to Ahab, as the Lord 
The God of Israel lives before whom I stand. There shall be neither dew nor rain these three years except by my word. Before whom I stand is a continuative action. It says, I am standing regularly in the presence of God and I am praying not only for myself but for you and for the nation of Israel and, uh, and so on. And then it says... Then he prayed again, and heaven gave him rain, gave them rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Why the second prayer? Well, it's an act of mercy on the part of God, but he did something else. The answer to the first was not coincidental. The answer to the second confirmed his authority. And uh, so this is a man who is like you and I, but he was a righteous man. The Lord used him. He prayed, and even... The weather changed because of his prayer. Now, I have something in closing that I'd like to share with you. It's a personal item. Back in the dark ages, when I was still a boy, about 11 years old, and we were working on a farm up in northern Idaho. My father was out plowing or trying to get plowing done before... uh, so we could get a crop in, and it had been miserable rain. Oregon isn't the only place that it rains, by the way. And uh, it was getting late in the year for planting, and Dad was out there plowing away, and uh, suddenly this rain broke out, and he just stopped, and he says, God, please let me finish this field so I can get the crop in. As God is my witness, there was a hole in the clouds that opened up and came over and settled right over the rest of the field where he needed to finish. And that day, he went and finished this entire end of the field that had not been completed yet. And as soon as he was done and pulled his tractor in, it began to rain again, which was just fine. Let me tell you something. At that time, my, my dad had not been walking with the Lord but about six months. So he wasn't a spiritual giant. He wasn't an Elijah. He was just a common man and a farmer. And he, he prayed this simple, passionate prayer because his heart was right before the Lord and because the Lord saw the necessity of what he needed and he didn't stop the rain for everybody else. He just stopped it for dad in that one spot. I believe that God can and will do that when it's within his purpose and his will. It comes back again to nevertheless, your will be done. And so I ask you to examine your heart and remember the power of your prayer is in your life, not just in your lips. There are no incantations. There are no special words that you use that are going to make God do what what you want Him to. It comes down to the matter of you sharing with God your heart and then surrendering to Him and say, nevertheless, your will be done and I will be satisfied. And it's amazing what God can do through us when we have that kind of a supple... um, supportive, submissive spirit toward God in our prayer life.
Final verse. Without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you again this morning for being such a powerful God who is so sensitive and merciful and personal that we can come to you at a moment's notice and lay our burden before you. And uh, you hear us, first of all, when we pray and ask for forgiveness. We also know that you are anxious to answer our prayers and pour out upon us blessings as they are appropriate to your purposes. And Father, we just pray, Lord, that we would do more praying and less complaining to our neighbor or our wives or our husbands or our friends and uh, watch you work through the quiet prayer that we pray in our own personal war room between you and us. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.